I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. To Ephesians 4 chapter, last, last Sunday night, last Sunday night, can anybody raise their hand and tell me that what they got from God last Sunday night is still working in them, that there were some doors that were opened? Very good. I'm going to not, I'm going to continue in that particular vein, a little different, but in that particular vein of preaching tonight, and uh, titling this, The Mindlessness of Faithlessness. The Mindlessness of Faithlessness. Now, uh, in the Amplified, that's what I'm reading, uh, be King James probably behind me, which uh, you can King James or Amplified, whatever you got's fine. So it's Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. And it says this, For this I say, I'll turn this off and I shouldn't have, and solemnly testify in the name of the Lord as in his presence that you must no longer live as the heathen, the Gentiles do, in their perverseness, in the folly, vanity, and the emptiness of their souls, and the, notice this word, the futility of their minds. Their moral understanding is darkened and their reasoning is beclouded. They are alienated, estranged, self-banished from the life of God with no share in it. This is because of the ignorance, the want of knowledge, and the perception, the willful blindness that is deep-seated in them due to their hardness of heart, to the insensitiveness of their moral nature. In their spiritual apathy, they have become callous and past feeling and reckless and have abandoned themselves a prey to unbridled sensuality, eager and greedy, greedy to indulge in every form of impurity that their depraved desires may suggest and demand. But you did not so learn Christ, assuming that you have really heard him and been taught of him, as all truth is in Jesus, embodied, personified in him. Strip yourselves of your former nature. Put off and discard your old, unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lust and desires that spring from delusion." And be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. And put on the new nature, the regenerate self created in God's image, godlike in true righteousness and holiness. Raise your hands right now to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, God, now that you would open our minds, our hearts, our understanding to this wonderful word, God, that is able to save our souls, the engrafted word, and bless and move on each individual tonight. Help them, strengthen them, I pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Turn and shake someone's hand, and I'm not worried about the ice and the snow that's outside. For just a little while, I want to preach to you. I want to take you just a little bit further tonight uh, into a little different area. Because I am convinced that if we... Open the door as Jesus Christ is knocking according to what the book of Revelation teaches us in the third chapter. Then I am also convinced for us to be able to open that door that we are going to have to have a completely different mindset. Some people got a hold of it last week, but there's still some of us that needs to change our minds, how we view ourselves and how God views us. Who am I? What am I to be doing? 
What is God going to do with me in the future? Does God love me? Will God continue to love me? I do believe with all my heart that there are some people that are sitting within my hearing that have a question in their mind of what they're able to do. And sometimes you try so hard to please God that you actually push God away. Not in the sense that that, that, that doing something good is wrong, but the fact that you have to have faith that what you're doing is what God wants you to do. That you have to have faith that God is going to move in your life and you're not afraid to stand up and say, Jesus, here I am. I'm your child and I plan on serving you and having faith in you and I'm not going to back down from anything, God, that you put in my way. I'm not going to back down from anything that you asked me to do. The mind is incredible. It, it can instantly retrieve intricate details that have been buried and stored for years. It can remember sights and sounds and colors and facts and figures unlike anything else in the world. Somebody noted that the mind has a greater capacity to store and retrieve information than any computer that is made. But the mind has an even greater ability than storing and retrieving information. It has incredible power to impact our behavior. People can literally alter their life by altering their thinking. That is why it's so hard for some people to understand truth. It's because they've been raised a certain way under a certain kind of doctrine, under a certain kind of denomination, and it's so difficult for them to understand that there is a biblical way of doing things instead of a traditional way of doing things. I am not going to be caught up in tradition. I'm going to alter my thinking. I'm going to believe that by faith I can move mountains. Successes and defeats are in large part attributed to our thinking. When we fill our mind with unbelief and dwell on being a failure, our attitude will produce defeat. But a faith, faith-filled attitude is much more than, than likely to bring success. Let me, let me give you a, a few things here. Just They're kind of humorous, but I want you to understand and get what I'm saying. Many of you don't have a clue who this person is, but... Those of you that do, Shelly Winters said this. She said, I'm not overweight. I'm just inches too short. Abraham Lincoln said, if they do kill me, I shall never die another death. Larry Cole, who had 10 years of tough luck, looked at life this way. He said, anyone can have an off decade. Daniel Boone, I, I like what he said. I can't say I was ever lost, but I was bewildered once for three days. So, you know, it's the attitude. It's what they're saying. No, I'm not lost. I'm just a little turned around. No, listen to me. I'm not overweight. I'm just too short. Come on. Do you understand what I'm saying while you're lying to yourself? Listen, folks, some of you take life just a little bit too serious and you worry too much about lying. When now Listen, I'm not telling you it's right to lie. I'm telling you that sometimes you need to talk to yourself into believing that God really does love you and God really wants to do something in your life, that you've got to understand that and want it more than anything else. Come on. I'm not lost. I'm just a little bewildered. But guess what? By the help of the Lord, I'm going to find my way. I'm going to find a life that is full of faith. I'm going to find a way to heaven. I'm going to believe that Jesus truly does want me to be with Him in heaven. 
you a baseball fan? Okay. You, do you know a guy named Stan? Is it Musile? Musil? Musil. M- M- okay. Musil. It doesn't spell that way. Anyway, he said this, Stan Musil. He was one of baseball's greatest hitters. Is that correct? Okay. He was asked one time how he would handle a diving. Now, I don't have a clue what this is, but I, I, I like it how he would handle a diving spitball. And he said, I just hit it on the dry side. You get what I'm saying? It's whatever life, whenever life hands you a spitball, you need to hit it on the dry side. In other words, I can still hit this thing out of the park. It's just a matter of me believing I can hit it out of the park. It's just a matter of looking at that thing and saying, you're not going to defeat me today. You're not going to take me down today. I'm not going to get to your level today. I've got a God that's got me above. I've got a God that's going to take me above any level. Mm. And what these people are simply saying is that attitude is absolutely everything. The Bible and even psychology teach that our happiness and achievements aren't altogether determined by our circumstances, but how we face circumstances. Satan knows that, and, and this is why it's his primary target to attack the mind. He wants to get you down by making you think that you can't. He wants to get you down and make you think that I can't preach anymore. Have another wreck. And look at me. I just my wife just had one too. Drove my expedition right off the far side of the hill. Bless her heart. I just thank God that she wasn't hurt. That was five minutes before service started. I go down and she looked like a ping pong ball had come down our hill. Went over and hit one tree and went back on the other side and come back again. Went over, but it didn't turn over. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying we got to look at the situation, not that we got a wrecked car, but I have a live wife. Okay? Do you understand that? And we got, if we do that, God will take care of us. If we do that, God will make a way for us. If we do that, God will take care of the situation. You're going to need another car? Yeah, we're going to need one probably. But guess what? God will make a way for that as well. I believe that, and we have to look at it that way. Satan, he tries to destroy people by creating fear, pessimism, self-pity. Ooh. Ooh. Let's get there. Didn't that, did you feel that? Did you see that? It's called, you've got to do this right. It's called this self-pity twist. You didn't think I could dance, did you? You thought I was just another pretty face, didn't you? Now, you can laugh what you want, but it actually there is people who get so self-pity they might as well dance with it. Huh? Just poor me. Poor me. I had this wonderful-looking boyfriend. She stole him from me. Did you see that one? That's what they call going over like a lead balloon. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) 
I was just joking, you know that. If I wasn't married, you'd be the girl of my dreams. Now, well, I got her even better, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> well, you just remember when life hands you a spitball. <laughs> you know, just, oh, God, help us. Attitude is everything. You know, one of the things, one of the things that I, I strongly believe in and will always believe in, and maybe some of you think maybe I, I, I'm too humorous at times, but on the other side of it, I'd rather see people laughing than sitting back there bored to death. Because if you're happy, you're going to hear me. If you're not happy and you're bored and you're back there texting, then I'm not going to get anything out of you. Mm. So let's go back to the self-pity twist. The self-pity twist. People who constantly, poor me, I've got this affliction, I've got that affliction, I don't have any money, I've got something that's broken at home, I've got somebody who doesn't love me, I've got a boss that hates me. You want me to keep going? I guarantee you that I've hit everybody in here with just one of the few things I've just said. But what are we going to do about it? Are we going to believe that we can get above this? Are we going to continue in the whiny corner until somebody comes and says, Well, poor Anthony, bless his heart. He's got such a hardship. We all got hardships. Suffering is a part of living for God, and until we learn to embrace it, we're always going to have problems. And then we move from self-pity to another one, unforgiveness, hatred, unresolved anger. And that's why the Bible says, give no place to the devil. This sort of thinking will destroy you. If you get into such a position of self-pity and unforgiveness, you will actually be destroyed by the devil. He won't have to do anymore. But when you stand up and say, yes, sir, I'm going to get above this. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to hold a grudge in my heart. I'm going to get above it. Our thoughts determine our behavior. The reason it's important to guard our thoughts is because our thinking determines our actions. Our actions determine our character. We become what we think. And that's what the Bible teaches in Proverbs 23 and 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Jesus said in Matthew 15, Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and false testimony and slander. This is the NIV version. That's what comes out of the heart. That's why we have to be so careful how we think. Because if we're not careful about our thinking, it's going to come out of our heart, and that means it's going to come out of our mouth. I want you to, I want you to listen to this. Paul's text, he said, I'll tell you this. He said, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. That's what I read to you earlier. In the futility of their thinking. I want you to notice the phrase, the futility of thinking. Paul said that Gentiles, unsafe people, use their mind to think thoughts that are void of truth and depraved. And this type of thinking will ultimately ruin us. Right thoughts precede right actions and wrong thoughts precede wrong actions. And let's look at this just a little bit. Some time back, a coach stormed onto the field raging at the umpire's uh, uh, obvious blown call. 
And before the coach reached home plate, the umpire warned him. He said, be careful what you say or you're going to get tossed. The coach hesitated, not wanting to be ejected from a championship game. And then he said this, Then what if I just thought that you were the lousiest, most wretched umpire to ever step on a baseball diamond? The umpire said, You're perfectly free to think whatever you want to think. And the coach yelled, Then I think you're the lousiest, most wretched umpire to ever step on a baseball diamond. See, your thoughts lead to actions. They lead to actions. It takes right thinking to produce right behavior. That's why Proverbs 23, 19 warns us to be wise and keep your heart on the right path. Keep your heart on the right path. Don't look for the negative. The negative's always going to be there. Don't talk about it. Don't look at it. Just be aware that there's something good in the middle of everything that is bad. You see, what you are today is a product of what you thought yesterday. You are what you have been thinking. And your tomorrow is dependent on your thoughts today. If you live with pessimism and doubt, you'll become a person of low esteem and you'll make very little contribution to life. If you live with fear, You'll become someone that can't navigate through life with trust in God, and fear always leads to a snare. God leads people, or God, excuse me, God lets people fall into traps of their own design when they won't trust Him. You know, a lot of the times when you're blaming the devil on some kind of snare, it's not Him at all. It's something that God laid for you because you won't trust Him. So He gets you and stops you. He puts a snare right around your leg. You can't go any further. And so he does this to stop you and say, okay, now what we need to do, what we need to do is to allow you to, to understand if you trust me, things can be better. And if you live with hatred and unforgiveness, you'll become what you think, embittered and hateful. But you'll become victorious if you fill your mind with what Paul commanded us in Philippians 4.8. He said, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellency of praise. He said, think on these things. Anything that's praiseworthy, think on it. You know, I've recently changed my prayer. I got into asking God for everything. You know, I knew better. Just asking God because, you know, I had, you know, need more money here. I need to do this. I got tired of it. I really did. I got tired of it. So I, I, I start praying now. And thank God I got an office because I start, I start singing. I sing old songs. Heavenly Father, you know, I appreciate you. I love you, adore you. I bow down before you. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. You know, and find anything that's praiseworthy. Because, you know, I, got, I know, I know. I know that what God wants to hear from us is that. He knows what I have need of before I ever ask. And it's okay to ask some things, but you get in such a rut. And sometimes those things, they, they come, they're there, and you don't even think and don't even know you're in such a rut of praying the same prayer that it's already been taken care of. You're still praying the same thing. What, what, what value is that? But there is something that just absolutely flows over top of you. It starts at your head and flows all the way down to your feet when you begin to love Him. And when you feel that, then you know everything's going to be okay. And whatever you have need of, God's going to take care of that need as well. 
Oh, give him a hand clap if you know what I'm saying. This type thinking takes discipline. But you can do it. We all can do it. And it'll transform your life. Literally transform your life. I'm told that before an artist places his brush on the canvas to start a picture, he mentally envisions the painting. He unleashes his imagination and somehow foresees what he wants to produce. The final picture depends on what the artist conceived beforehand. When you, when you think of your life in terms of a painting, what do you envision? What do you see when you're thinking of your life? Think about it. Is the picture worth painting? Is it? Whether you realize that your mind is an artist that paints you into whatever image you allow your mind to perceive, that's what you will be. Years ago, a preacher was invited to the Far East, and he needed to get a passport. And the closest federal building that issued quick passports was in Miami, Florida. After hours of driving, he arrived at the federal building with all the documents needed for securing the passport. Then he had to wait two hours for the processing. While waiting, he and the person that was with him went to eat lunch at a food court. And neither of them wore a watch, so looking up from the table, he asked a very pleasant-looking Hispanic woman that was working uh, what time it was. And she stood only four feet from their table, but she didn't answer. So he said, I, I ask again, excuse me, do you have the time? He said she didn't flinch. He said, I just looked at my friend and shrugged. And maybe, you know, maybe you would have given up, but this had become a challenge to him. So you, you know, he, he believed, well, I'm going to try one more time. You get three strikes. He said, you know, I'm going to try it one more time. And he said, pardon me, do you have the time? Nothing. Now, listen, he said, when I, I say she didn't flinch, he said she didn't twitch. And she looked so pleasant. She had been working with inspiration, he said, and joy, and now she was standing there ignoring me with the same unflappable pleasantry. He said, I was mystified. But about five minutes later, with a woman still smiling, four feet from, four feet from our table, a fellow worker approached her and began speaking to her in sign language. She was deaf. She was deaf. And the point here is that woman very likely wasn't born in America. She was an immigrant. Beside that, she was deaf, and she couldn't properly articulate. But rather than becoming a victim and stomping around those tables in disgust, she chose to smile and make the most of her life. Do you hear me? She chose to smile in spite of her problem. In spite of her difficulty, she chose to look pleasant. Even though it was upsetting him, he didn't answer. She still looked good. You know, a person should not walk in the doors of this church unless they can put on a smile whether they feel like it or not. You hear me? You shouldn't walk up to a visitor and shake their hands unless you can smile and say, I really am glad to see you here at McCormick's Creek Church. Mm. 
John Milton said this. He said, the mind in its own place and in itself can make heaven of hell or hell of heaven. And that's absolutely true. William James said, the greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitude. Let me say it again. Guard your thoughts. Keep them in check. Don't allow yourself to become disillusioned or to get mired in pessimism. God lets, God lets people fall into those traps of their own design when they won't live according to His commands and when they don't trust Him. So then, let, let, let's take this just so, let's take this a little further. How do we defeat negativism? How do you beat it? Before I say this, because you're going to think this is silly, let me remind you of how silly that you look when you sit there with a frown on your face all the time. When you sat there so preoccupied with whatever difficulty that's uh, somehow accosted you yesterday, and you come into the church looking like uh, someone baptized in pickle juice, then why? You hear me? Why don't you think that's silly? You say, are you talking about me? Yes. You're terrible. Look at those frowns. Smile a little bit. See, look at her. This is how you need to be, just like her. And here I because you're smiling and you're laughing, and you know that's the way you ought to be. Even though I give her a hard time a while ago, she still likes me. <laughs> so how do we do this? How do we defeat negativism? What we have to do is think faith-filled thoughts. It's a matter of self-talk. 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 Try talking your way out of being defeated. When's the last time you went somewhere and talked yourself out of it? I did a lot. Robertson, what is wrong with you? You have been here before. You've had this occur before. God's always taken you through it. I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to you. You know, you remember that time about five years ago when you had a lot worse situation than occurred, Robertson? Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember well, then, why are you pitying yourself? Well, I'd like to get my wife to love me a little more. But you know that she loves you with all her heart. I know, but I'd like for her to tell me more often. Well, how often do you tell her? Well, I tell her all the time. Well, do you think that she'll ever catch on? Well, I don't know if she'll ever catch on or not. We're getting off subject. Let's go up somewhere else. We're talking about you, Robertson. You've got to talk yourself out of it. Before long, I get my mind on how bad my wife treats me, and I feel, I feel like I've not got a bad thing, nothing with problems at all. You've been married 41 years. Yeah, 41. Then you can say things like that get away with them, but don't you do it now. You've not been married long enough. They <laughs> said, talk your way out of defeat. This is what David did. In Psalm 43 and 5, when he was discouraged, David looked at himself and he asked, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Is David talking to himself? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God and I will praise him, my Savior and my God. David said, Hey, soul, what's gnawing at you? That's what he was saying. 
Snap out of it. Trust in God. And how can we remain downcast and fearful if we believe God is all-powerful and invincible? Do you, do you get me there? You get up here and you shout when they say, God can do anything. And you get up, hallelujah, I know he can do anything. And then you go home and you whine because he's not doing it for you. How can we remain downcast, pessimistic, if we know his resources are limitless and available to us? How can we remain downcast and without hope when God says there's a way of escape for every situation? You can't let a defeatist attitude paralyze you whenever a crisis emerges. Or like David, you can determine that a downcast soul is not acceptable or someone whose Lord is the Almighty God of the universe. Are you telling me if your God is the God of the universe, the one who created all things by simply speaking them into existence, then do you really believe He's going to leave you in a downcast situation? I know that He won't. And I know I've been taken out of it, and a lot of you have been taken out of bad situations. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Be positive about it. Don't be a pessimist. Don't be negative. Do you know why some people remain downcast? The answer is they remain downcast because they enjoy being downcast. It feeds their negativism. It feels so good to sit and sulk and sour and have others pander to your misery. in the right place. It takes more to discipline our thinking and dwell on faith-filled thoughts than to throw in the towel and accept defeat. I don't want to be defeated. I really don't. I don't like the idea of a devil beating us. I don't like the idea of having negative thoughts. I don't like that. Neither should you. I know how... The one version puts it in Ephesians 4.22, a version of the Bible says, Paul said in reference to your former manner of life that you lay aside the old self which has been corrupted in accordance within the lust of deceit, that you may be renewed by the spirit of your mind. Now we're going to define that, that phrase, be renewed, in the, in the attitude of your mind is an interesting uh, little phrase there because it refers to renewing something that didn't previously exist. When he said that, he's saying this thing didn't exist before, but he's talking about renewing it. It's like replacing, is what he's saying, a huge combustion engine in a submarine with a nuclear-driven engine. A, a, a submarine with a nuclear-powered engine acts altogether differently than a combustion-powered engine. So when he's talking about renewing your spirit, he's saying what we're doing here is taking out the old engine and we're putting in something else that has never been here before. That's what he's talking about. It's the way you think. It's the way that you... I, I, I need to make more money than you need to think. God, I've given to you. I've done everything I should. You know my needs. And I'm going to believe you for more money. And guess what? When you start speaking that to yourself, and every time you start getting negative, you go into your prayer closet, and you start talking yourself out of being negative, then guess what's going to happen? You talk yourself into getting more money that you need. It works. So let me ask you, how are you thinking? When we were sinners, it was natural for us to think about sinning. It's often more convenient to fabricate a lie than to speak truthfully. 
It was more convenient to resent an enemy than to forgive him. But Paul says Christians must incorporate a whole new attitude about life. We have to accept the Lord's way of thinking and reject the world's way of thinking. And there's a simple biblical exercise that, can, that we can do that helps us achieve this. We need to make a verbal pronouncement of what Bible says we are. Whatever the Bible says you are is what you are, and you have to confess that that's what you are. What does the Bible tell me? I've never seen a righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. Now, come on. I've never seen that. I was young, but, but now I'm old, but I've never seen a righteous forsaken. I'm a child of God. I'm a blood-bought child of God. I'm special. I am the son of a king, and I'm going to take care of me. God is going to meet my needs according to His role, according to everything that He has in glory. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Why can't He meet my needs? If you want to change your thinking, come up here and stand. Just come up here and stand. Come up here and stand. I'm not asking you to kneel. I just want you to come up here and stand. If you want to change your thinking. If you allow Satan to control your thinking, he's going to keep you alienated from God. That's what the meaning of Ephesians 4.18 is. When it says unbelievers are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God, that's what it is saying. That's because Satan is controlling your thinking. Are you ready to change your thinking? It's going to take practice and perseverance, but you can do it. I am not going to be able to do that for you up here. All I'm going to do is pray for you, and you're going to pray for one another. And from this point on, you're going to make a confession. God, I am going to change my way of thinking. I'm not going to allow myself to be caught in that, that, that constant hole of negativism. I'm not going to allow myself to be drawn into that 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 uh, that black hole that just keeps taking everything away from me. And every time I start getting up, that thing comes back and I'm negative all over again. But I'm not going to do that any longer. I'm not going to allow that to tear me down anymore. I'm tired of being a pessimist. It's time to be an optimist. I am ready to go a little bit further than what I've done before. Yes, I'm full of the Holy Ghost. Yes, I know what is right. I know what is wrong. But somehow along the line, I have not taken that old combustion engine out and put it in this new nuclear drive. Are you with me? Just, to, just so you understand what I'm saying, I, I, this, recently I read this, and, and it was talking about plastic surgeons reported that when they successfully transformed the face of a severely burned victims, it takes time for patients to feel good about themselves. Despite the doctor's affirmations, victims still feel ugly and they lack confidence when in fact they look normal. Studies show it can take up to two years before patients feel good about themselves. From the time we're saved, we need to think differently about ourselves. We should understand that we are a child of God and we are a joint heir with Jesus, and that means God performed reconstructive surgery on my heart. He reconstructed my mind, and we look differently. Yeah. And we need to proclaim that we're overcomers. And we're not just an overcomer, but as Romans 8.37 says, that we are more than conquerors through Christ. We are more than conquerors. Everybody that's back in the pews, if you feel like it, if you can, if you can't, that's okay. Reach your hands forward, stand, put your hands forward towards this group of people. And the ministers, if you feel led to go to somebody and lay hands on them, please do. 
And we're going to pray. All we're going to do is we're going to begin the we're going to begin to get a brand new engine in you, a brand new hope.